Please remain standing for the reading of the New Testament. Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 21. Mark 15, verses 15 through 21. God's word from the New Testament. Give your attention to the reading of it. God's word. Mark 15, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. As for the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Let's pray. So you are familiar with the well-known saying of Joseph. Remember that after being sold into slavery by his own brothers, Joseph had the perfect opportunity for revenge. But instead, he told his brothers, don't be afraid. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is one of the marvels of our Lord that he is able to use the bad things that we humans do for his higher and more perfect purposes. We speak a lie to deceive, but God can turn it into an accidental truth. In God's hands, a loss can be an addition, and injustice can result in justice. Sinners can scheme wickedness in direct opposition to God, but he weaves it according to his glorious plan. Thus, we often see that there are two levels of meaning. There is what we mean as human actors, and then there is what God intends as the primary agent. And in Scripture, the relationship between these two levels of meaning is often fascinating, a surprising And ironic. Well, as the world imposes its meaning on Jesus, the Lord has a very different intention for our everlasting salvation. So, it may be a Friday, but the crowd is acting like it is a Super Tuesday, as they are casting votes like crazy. Remember that it is Passover Day, the first day of the eight-day Old Testament feast. And it's time for the custom of a prisoner release. Pilate was hoping to just have one name on the ballot. He offered the crowd to release Jesus, whom he judged to be a harmless fellow. Yet, by mingling among the crowd, the priest had whipped them up into a mob for Barabbas. Two names stood before them on the ballot, vote for one, Barabbas or Jesus. A murderer or a healer? an insurrectionist, or a peacemaker. Well, the ranting rabbles cheered for Barabbas, and they called for the crucifixion of our Savior. The votes are counted, and it is unanimous for Barabbas, 
500 to 0. Of course, in such a situation, if the vote is unanimous, then you know something foul is afoot. Tyranny yields unanimity, not a free and fair election. Either way, Pilate has a choice to make. Whom does he release? Like a sailor who fights a storm for a bit, but then just gives up, so Pilate yields to the tempest of the crowd. He fought for Jesus once or twice, but he's not going to pull any muscles for him. Besides, as it says, Pilate wants to appease the crowd. He preferred to satisfy them, and so he gives in and grants them Barabbas. And so the corruption of Pilate is again showing. A proper judge rules by the principled truth of the law. He goes by facts, for justice is not a democracy. However, doing justice and keeping the peace can come into conflict at times. Rulers and judges can find themselves on the horns of a dilemma. Do they do what is right or what the public wants? Thus, governors often give in to expediency. To preserve its power and well-being, the state can choose the pragmatic over what is just. The innocent one is sacrificed to calm the many. And this is what Pilate does. He acts in the interest of himself and the state and not to perform what is just. He knows it's better to feed the beast of the crowd. He better fill their belly now to satisfy them before the mob gets out of control. And with this, the world begins to render its estimation of Jesus. In being handed over to Rome, Jesus is now elevated above the small and provincial court of Israel. Jesus is, after all, the Savior not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles, the world. Therefore, Jesus must come out on the world stage. The world, imp- the world empire embodied in Rome must publish their assessment of Jesus. And Pilate writes the first or the world's first evaluation of Jesus as disposable, inconvenient. For Rome, Jesus is an expedient scapegoat to quiet the crowd and to maintain its government. For what's justice got to do with it? If it keeps the peace, toss them to the piranhas. And this is what Pilate does. He liberates a murderer and he hands Jesus over to the committee of crucifixion. For yeah, the world loves its bureaucratic committees and the military definitely had a board of execution. And first up, as a warm-up for crucifixion, was the flogging. The classic appetizer for the cross was the Roman leather whip with pieces of metal and bone sewn into it. The Roman strap tore skin and flesh down to the bone. Mark, though, does not tease out any of the gruesome details. Maybe it's because these floggings were well known, or maybe because the horrors of the crucifixion were considered too morbid for proper conversation. Either way, this grisly flogging is the first blood of our Lord. 
When the priest and elder slapped him on in the cheek in the last chapter, maybe a few drops fell from Jesus' nose. But now the blood of our Savior flows in streams. The bloody ministry of Christ has begun. As remembered during the trial, the prophetic office of Christ went silent so that his priestly office could serve. And here is Jesus as our high priest, ministering by blood, even his own blood. Next, with his back opened up, the whole battalion of Roman soldiers parade Jesus out into the courtyard of the praetorium. <clears throat> which is the official headquarters of the, go- of the governor. The Praetorum is the capital courthouse, the state prison, and the governor's mansion all wrapped up into one. This is the world stage under the lights of Broadway. And all the soldiers lead him out center stage to create a caricature of our Lord. For what is a caricature? Well, it's an exaggerated representation of someone. It is a ludicrous cartoon of a person for comic and grotesque effect. Now, imitation can be a form of compliment, but a caricature mocks, ridicules, and shames. A caricature is a burlesque form of entertainment. Pilate judged Jesus as disposable, and now the soldiers assess him as a plaything for gross entertainment. They distort and parody Jesus and his kingship to laugh at him and to declare what they think of his royalty. Caricatures are cheap and cruel ways to give your condemning opinion. This then creates two levels of meaning in the text. There is first the level of the world's opinion, what the Roman soldiers mean, and two, the level of God's truth, who Jesus truly is. The centurions laugh at what they think is a lie, a royal Jesus, but what they mock, the Lord intends as revealing deeper truths and more profound realities. And these two levels interact by a sad irony. The evil they intend, God uses for good. Moreover, note here how Jesus is completely passive. Throughout the rest of his ministry, Jesus was always in charge. He guided and controlled his every step to do the Father's will. Even during the trials when he was silent, Jesus was still guiding the proceedings toward the cross. But here Jesus is completely acted upon. He does not guide, but he is led and manhandled by the vicious hands of the Roman soldiers. Jesus has submitted to the currents of crucifixion, and he will not fight them, but he lets them take take him where they will. And yet, with our Lord under the spotlights on the world stage, now the Roman troopers start to paint their caricature. And the first color on the canvas is purple. Purple was the essence of royalty. For over a thousand years in the ancient world, purple was the costliest dye reserved for kings and the richest nobles. 
In fact, Rome and the house of Caesar even owned part of and regulated the purple industry. Thus, emperors, senators, and other high officials alone got the privilege to wear purple. The color purple was a social honor and distinction. But to dress a crucifixion row inmate in purple, this is like putting a gold ring in a pig's snout. The gross mismatch ridicules Jesus as an unworthy joke. Silly Jesus, purple is for kings. It's a top hat on a toad, too ugly to be cute. It's cruel humor. The soldiers intend abuse to make Jesus laughable. However, God had his own use for purple. In the Old Testament, purple was not first the color of kings, but it was the hue of priests serving in the holy place. Purple, blue, scarlet, and gold adorned the breastpiece of the high priest. It decorated the tabernacle as the colors of heaven. To be draped in purple prepares Jesus as a priest who is effecting atonement in the heavenly places. Rome mocks Jesus' kingship. Meanwhile, God adorns him as a priest. Next, the troopers stick a crown of thorns on Jesus' head. Now, we're not quite sure what species of thorn was used by the soldiers, One could be a prickly, thistle-like plant with purple flowers. Another plant was had two to four-inch thorns with pinkish flowers. But this crown would have added to our Lord's pain, though it served more for their caricature. As you may know, the crown of wreath was what Caesar wore, and its upturned leaves were symbolic of the sun rays, of the god Apollo. As God's son, Caesar was adorned with the glory of the sun. But instead of an elegant wreath, the soldiers stick in Jesus' scalp a worthless weed. They add lipstick to their pig. They sneer at Jesus as a weed king over a patch of stickers. In the Old Testament, though, thorns and thistles embodied the curse. They grew as God's punishment to choke out the abundance of the people's sin. So with covenant eyes, we see a curse laid upon the crown of our Savior. Remember, priests bore away the sin of the people. Sacrifices felt the weight of the curse. In faith, we see Jesus here bearing the curse of sin upon his own head. Of course, a good caricature is always made better by some music. To add audio to the visual makes it more powerful. And so now the whole battalion forms a 500-man choir to chant, Hail the King of the Jews. They can barely keep the straight face as they satirize, the claim that was paid to Caesar. To the emperor, soldiers saluted with all seriousness and deference, Ave Caesar, hail Caesar. Here, though, there is no pretense of reverence. Rather, with lewd chuckles and profane giggles, they salute the lowest of kings, as if a lion lion was saluting a field mouse. 
there is racism in their use of the Jews and even more scorn and hatred for Jesus. A rodent king, the soldiers now are putting an earring in their play pig. Yet whom the soldiers laugh at as the least king, God intends as a foreshadowing of the highest exaltation. Precisely because Jesus is abased here as the greatest loser, so he will be raised with the name above all names. This character of of Jesus being a non-king will earn him the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They torment, or the torment they inflict for evil, God will use for the everlasting glory of Christ. The Roman soldiers, though, are being thorough. This is their day in the limelight as the wor- on the world stage, and so they'll make the most of it. Next, they open the door to physical abuse. Now, the bloody flogging was part of the scheduled torture of the crucifixion, but any other pain that they can squeeze in is just abuse for fun. Thus, they grab a stick, which was probably most likely first used as a prop. A reed or a stick makes a good play scepter. Every king needs a staff of power and dignity. And the royal scepters of the ancient world symbolized, among other things, the king crushing his enemies. Well, they take Jesus' stick and they beat him with his own play scepter. To die or be defeated but with your own weapon is to add shame upon shame. Though to be hit in the head with a stick soon leaves a mark. It covers the face of our Lord with blemishes and bruises. We've seen our Lord draped in purple as a priest. He bore the crown of curse as our sacrifice, well, so also under Moses, sacrificial animals had to be blemish-free. They couldn't have a broken nose. And the animals were spotless in order to carry away the blemishes of the worshiper. Well, Jesus' humanity is pure righteousness, but here he is being blemished for us. He's taking our blemishes upon himself. He's being abused by our sin. And the same goes for the spitting. The military men spit on Jesus as a disgusting and wretched thing. To be spat on is so degrading and disrespectful. Yet spit could also be defiling. Spit could render you impure. Again, the purity of our Lord's holiness is impeccable, but as Gentile spittle runs down his face... He takes on our impurity. To be our effective Savior, to be our saving ransom, Jesus had to bear away our sin and our impurities. Well, with his broken nose and spit-covered face, Jesus is taking in his own body all of our depravities and impurities. The soldiers, though, have one last touch on their demeaning caricature. Now they bow the knee to him and pay him homage, which is an extravagant gesture of reverence for a king. However, by and large, the Greeks, they did not prostrate before their kings, like the Persians before them, and Rome was similar to the Greeks. Therefore, this bowing is treating Jesus as an eastern king 
like the ones that Rome so thoroughly conquered. As a stabbing joke, they bow to a vanquished king. Yet, this is only the second time in Mark's gospel that Jesus has been bowed to. And the first time was when the demoniac ran out and bowed before Jesus and cried out, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. The legion of demons submitted before Jesus and his majesty as God's true Son. The soldiers bow as a lie, but God intends for us to see a truth in this. Jesus is the king before whom we must bend the knee, and precisely because he suffered for us. Though with this, the world's caricature of our Savior is done. The Roman army has has had fun shaming and ridiculing Jesus as a loser, a lie, and a shameful man. But he isn't worth too much time. He is like a piece of trash that you play with for a bit and then throw out. And it's time to take out the trash. Thus they strip him down and put his clothes back on him. A ragged rabbi garment is more fitting. And then the men men lead Jesus out to be crucified. They make the journey from the governor's praetorium to outside the city to the place of death. And a typical feature of this death march was that the criminal carried his own crossbeam. Rome gave its prisoners no customer service. They had to lug their own torture device and execution. So, as John records in his gospel, Jesus carried his own cross. He bore the image or the, or the instrument of his death. Mark, though, doesn't mention this heavy lifting of our Lord. Instead, somewhere along the road, the soldiers compelled the bystanders to carry the cross for Jesus. He carried it part way, and this bystander will carry it the rest of the way. Now, we're not sure, but this either means that Jesus became too weak from the beating, and so they got someone else to carry it for him, or the compelling of Simon might be another part of the caricature. That is, kings have servants to carry their burdens. So this nobody Simon is a laughable slave to the ridiculous King Jesus. Rome is not done having fun with our Lord. And yet the language here for Simon carrying the cross recalls something Jesus said earlier in his ministry. Back in chapter 8, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the standard for a true disciple. And here is Simon carrying a cross and following Jesus. All the other apostles deserted and failed Jesus, But here is Simon cross-carrying behind Jesus on the way out to Golgotha. A last disciple remains with Jesus. And yet, this wasn't his choice. The The soldiers forced this upon Simon. They made him carry the cross. Also, this guy is coming in from the countryside, There's no hint that Simon had ever even heard of Jesus. Indeed, he's from Cyrene, 
which is the North African region east of Egypt in modern-day Libya. Now, we know there was a sizable Jewish community in Cyrene, but Simon is a diaspora Jew here for the pilgrim feast, forced against his will to carry the cross of a man he most likely has never heard of. This is not a very good picture of a true disciple. And yet note what Mark adds. He names Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now these were very, these both were very common names of the day, but to specify Simon's sons means that the church to whom Mark is writing knows them. And if Mark and the church knows these sons, it means they're Christians. Simon was not a believer when he carried the cross of Christ, but by bearing that cross, he became a Christian, and so did his sons. As he followed Jesus with that heavy board, Christ led him and his family to salvation. The soldiers forced Simon into a temporary slavery to oppress him, to flex their muscles. And you can bet that Simon saw this as the worst inconvenience. He just wanted to get to the Passover table, and now he has to lug a beam for some stranger? Oh, the complaints he probably uttered under his breath. But what the soldiers meant as cruelty, what Simon likely grumbled about, God used as salvation, as the salvation of Simon and his son. Simon, carrying the cross of Jesus, then broadcast the will and the love of God to accomplish our salvation through happenings drenched in evil. The Roman caricature was wickedness and shame. The goal of the soldiers was to make the kingship of Christ forever forgotten. They were trying to erase the name of Jesus from the history books for good by their laughter. But by the evil they wove, God used for the greatest good in all of history. As they ridiculed his kingship, Jesus was prepared as our priest in sacrifice to bear away all our sins and shame. As Rome rubbed Jesus into the dirt as a worthless weed, so he won for himself the highest throne in heaven. He earned for us the most blessed gift of eternal life. Likewise, the grace of the cross takes hold of us and makes us believers. Simon did not become a believer because he first made a decision for Jesus but because the grace of God irresistibly worked in him to bring him to Christ. Thus, once again, the Lord has laid out for us all the rich textures of Christ's love for us, his sacrifice for us. Thus, may we love and may we wonder at our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us praise him for his deep love to suffer so much so that we might be saved in him. And now that Jesus is exalted on high, let us bend the knee to him. Bend the knee to him in faith, in worship, 
and in obedience now and forever. Amen. Let's pray.